The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Roads Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mounts, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. So glad to have you with us, everybody. Today we are brought to you by the good folks of Vandalia, Illinois. Vandalia, V-A-N-D-A-L-I-A. That's a town that knows it has a bright future, even while remaining true to their solid Midwestern roots. The 200th anniversary of Vandalia is right around the corner from June 13 through 16, 2019. More about the bicentennial festivities a little later in the show. We are so happy to have you with us again for another episode of Trip Talk, and we welcome back a lady whose company is thoroughly enjoyable to keep, and her knowledge is as wide as the roadways of America. She really is an extraordinary lady. Here's the very least you need to know about returning guest Erica Nelson. Erica is an independent artist and educator exploring the fringes of art and culture as experienced on the back roads and offbeat roadside attractions that dot the American landscape. She travels the country in a permanently altered art car and exhibits the world's largest collection of the world's smallest versions of the world's largest things in a portable sideshow extravaganza. When not on the road expounding on the glories of world's largest things and quirky roadside oddities, she can be found hunkered down just outside of the Garden of Eden in the wonderfully bizarre town of Lucas, Kansas. Think Norman Rockwell meets Twin Peaks with just a touch of northern exposure thrown in. And so for the second time on Trip Talk, at least during the time I've been running this show, let me welcome warmly Erica Nelson. Erica, how are you today? It is a fabulous day to start dreaming and thinking about road trips, so I am doing great. Well, I think that becomes pretty much mandatory once we are officially into spring, and we are. So naturally, and I've done it myself, Erica, I've thought, now where do I want to go this year? You seem to be on the road a lot more than me, so for you, planning must be a full-time job. Um, well, it's more of uh, how many stops can I make in between the mandatory ones, so I kind of... Uh-huh head towards a region of the country with a purpose and then have all of my ulterior motive stops along the way. (laughs) Ulterior motive stops. I love that. Well, Erica, let me ask you now in the bio, I mean, the first question just jumped right out at me from the material itself. I quoted, she travels the country in a permanently altered art car and exhibits the world's largest collection of the world's smallest versions of the world large, world's largest things in a portable sideshow extravaganza. I don't think the first time we had you on air with us, Erica, that we did justice to the concept of the art car. And I know our listeners would love to hear more about that. Well, and especially for you Seattle folks, there is a rich art car culture there of People with a little bit of a bent view of the world not being able to contain themselves to just insight expression. So it spills out onto every single surface, including their vehicles. So uh, you might have seen some permanently altered vehicles running around your communities, and those are art cars. And it's made by someone who is so passionate about something that it overtakes their life and their four-wheeled little mini version of themselves. 
You know, I will tell you, Erica, that I have experienced that before I moved down to Florida. I spent a little over two decades in Seattle. And there would be, I don't know, perhaps iconically, but quite often there would be a Volkswagen Beetle or a bus, and that became somebody's canvas. If that's what you mean, then I have seen it for myself. Yes. I love that because there is, and in particularly in the Puget Sound area where you spend quite a bit of time indoors, unless you have to be outside, it's rainy, it's dark, and people get creative. They also get seasonal affective disorder, and they've got to do something to cheer themselves up. And there are also people who are highly individualistic in Seattle in, and in the metropolitan area where they bring out their inner artist to play. And you can see that really up and down I-5 and 405 where people just sort of make their stand as individuals in a creative way. Well, and it's not just uh, keeping ourselves happy. It's seeing what happens when somebody encounters an art car in the wild unexpectedly and the joy and the unexpected wonder that that creates in an otherwise drab day can't be matched. So as soon as you see somebody react that way to something that you've made, uh, it just makes you want to drive it around more and make another one when the first one dies. I love that. That's a great way to go through life. And it also sets oneself more of a challenge than slapping yet another bumper sticker on to express a point of view. You know, I might do something like that, but that would be the lazy man's way. I mean, I'm, I'm no artist, but I appreciate it when I see it. Well, but if you had 10,000 bumper stickers on your car, <laughs> that approaches our car realm. <laughs> That's right. It's, a, it's sort of on the it's the outback of the art car realm. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you know, you go to so many places and you represent so many things. I I really feel like I'm having to be mindful that you, know, you are many interviews in one, Erica. So we'll talk about what we can during this brief time and then we'll take up the rest the next time we get together. And there will be a next time, I'm quite sure. There, When you look, for example, at a a project that I have gotten some word of. I haven't been able to see a picture yet, but I was told that, for example, there's a big tire in Michigan, and I hope it's not running amok, but there's a big tire project that is artistic intrinsically, and somebody needs to do something about that. It seems to have not escaped your attention. Please tell us about this big tire concept in Michigan. Well, and this is one of the categories of world's largest thing that I really, really love. For me, there's two or three different reasons why people make an iconic monument. And sometimes they're loan eccentric, sometimes they're companies and advertising. This particular one is a remnant from a 1964 World's Fair where the Uniroyal Company had this wonderful Ferris wheel that was in the shape of a giant tire with gondolas that would go up and around that center tread pattern. And most of the time after these world fairs, these constructions get dismantled and sold off for scrap. So this sense of wonder that was created ends once the last Belgian waffle is eaten. But for this one, it was loaded up onto a train, moved to Detroit area where it deserved to be, and re-erected as a roadside attraction icon for uh, the Motor City. You know, you, you put me in mind of Seattle's own World's Fair two years prior, and I think the 1964 World's Fair was in New York? Yes. 
if I recall, yes. And in 1962, which gave us the iconic Space Needle, the sort of uh, gateway to the space age there in the home of Boeing, of course, there in Seattle put up the Space Needle, which proudly stands today and no longer towering over the sky. And there are bigger buildings there in Seattle than the, than the Space Needle, but none more architecturally unique and significant. And I look at that and I think times change, people change, and if something is going to survive, there needs to be a kind of evolution of the concept itself. The amusement park there for the Space Needle, I'm not sure I could find it today. Maybe they have those rides around. It's been several years since I've been to that part of Seattle, but it was known for many years as Fun Forest. Back in 1962, during the World's Fair, it was known as Gay Way. And so they decided to change the name to Fun Forest, and that uh, seems to suit the, the modern audience and the people who love to go to Seattle Center and have that experience, including these remnants of a wonderful World's Fair that I think ranks among the most famous of all of them. And so here we have this big tire in Michigan, and someone like you comes along and you look at this and you see the artistic potential given your purview and given your, your enthusiasm for creating versions that can be a traveling exhibit of these world's largest things. That's such an inspired notion in itself, Erica. Well, thanks. And it's really, um, it's almost self-serving in that I love to collect stories of places. And I always love seeing these roadside attractions because at heart, I'm still that 12-year-old kid screaming in mm. the back of the AMC Gremlin, Would we, can you stop and see that? <laughs> oh, look at that big thing. I want to see it. So now that I'm an adult, I can go and try to find a path to a giant tire on the side of the road and try to find its story. Once I've gathered that story and collected photographic evidence of a giant amazing thing, then I make that small version to add to my own attraction so that I can tell that story of that place again with something physical that somebody can ask ask about or why do you have a giant tire in your display and it can lead to this whole discussion about world fairs and industries of areas and repurposing and these are beautifully constructed structures uh, like your space needle and to see them stand the test of time and become not just temporary monuments to industry but actual Symbols of time and place, specific places, to me is a, a fascinating way that we as Americans build our history. The way we build it and the way we repurpose it, the way we view it, sometimes even philosophically as representative of cultural patterns. This, I envy you your travels anyway, Erica, but also just that eye you have for the significance of things that other people might disregard. And thank goodness for the fact that we still have roadside attractions and these highways and byways where people put themselves out there, so to speak, and people come along to appreciate that. I hope that never leaves the American character. I, I hope so, and I hope so, too. And I do feel like there is an ebb and flow to these because in the, the height of the automobile era, they were built as ways to bring people off the road into this small town because they felt like, oh, this, the public is just passing us by so fast. These have these small, meandering roads. So people would build attractions to get people to stop. 
Now we're kind of funneling back into that fast, fast system and finding dissatisfaction and wanting a reason to stop. So people are reviving some of these older, slower roadside attractions to re-spark and reinvigorate our sense of wonder. To reinvigorate our sense of wonder, beautifully said, and also characteristic of those people who don't view this or that state as a so-called flyover state, but a place to be explored because of the intrinsic value of what you find there. Yeah. Or sometimes the non-intrinsic giant fiberglass booming prairie chicken. There could be that, too. <laughs> <laughs> I They're love talking to Eric. Stories. You, you've got stories aplenty. I love having you on this show. I need to take a short commercial break. And on the other side of that, I'd like to talk about some programming that people can enjoy in the comfort of their own home. You don't even have to get in your car to enjoy this stuff. And we'll hear more about that when Erica rejoins us after we have a word from Vandalia, Illinois, in South Central Illinois, Land of Lincoln, is a town that knows it has a bright future, even while remaining true to her solid Midwestern roots. The 200th anniversary of Vandalia is right around the corner from June 13 to 16, 2019. The festivities continue through the weekend with several activities planned to highlight the history of Vandalia, a movie night on the State House lawn, a parade, historical home tours, plays at the State House, live music provided by local musicians, and a Civil War reenactment in Sunman Park, and there's also, of course, the annual Grand Levy. Please check the City of Vandalia's website for bicentennial updates and download the Bicentennial Celebration itinerary at vandaliaillinois.com. And Vandalia, once again, is spelled V-A-N-D-A-L-I-A, vandaliaillinois.com. We are talking with Erica Nelson, who is an extraordinary woman doing extraordinary things for the car and road culture, for museum culture, really. Let's give her her entire due here. And in the United States, she reflects and represents so much that is characteristically American. And it can be odd. It can be fantastic. But it's all fun. It's all educational and it's all part of what makes America a unique place in this world. Erica, I, you know, there's a show and thank you for tipping me off to it because I don't subscribe to Hulu, but I think I better start. There is a program on now. They're going to have a season premiere if it hasn't happened already. It's called American Gods. And I will confess to you that I did not know a thing about that until you mentioned it as we set up this interview and scheduled you. Please tell our listeners, and me included, about American Gods and Hulu and what sorts of programs we can expect during this season. Well, and first I want to correct myself in uh, mistyping to you about what network it was on, what online subscription service. It's part of the STARS network. S-T-A-R-Z. Uh, yes. Yes, okay, and I, good, I was good. thinking about all of the um, online streaming services now that I don't have subscriptions to, and I kind of stagger my seven-day free trial to catch the shows that I really want to catch. So, nice strategy, uh, on, but it is stars. It's, it's, yes, it's on stars, and it's uh, this is season two of American Gods, and it's based on a 2001 um Sort of science fiction, science fantasy, but 
sets in the American Landscape of Roadside Attractions book by Neil Gaiman. And this has become a cult classic for people who love roadside attractions. And the basic premise behind the book and carrying on into season one and season two of the show is that we, we seek gathering points. And usually we erect a marker or some sort of holy place around a gathering point. Mm -hmm. But in the Americas, the gods were a little scattered. So we still felt this need to gather, but we weren't quite sure why. So roadside attractions ended up being built on these powerful zones where something was happening. And it became our replacement set of gods that we knew we needed to go there. We weren't quite sure why, and we had this intense feeling of satisfaction and disappointment once we got to where we were going. <laughs> okay. So and when, when you... into this, this sort of weird um, set of geography for this story to take place. That would be something to look forward to, because I, I think that one person's disappointment is another person's delight when you are going towards something you're not quite sure what there and that's that's the suspense and that's the joy of discovery you may experience disappointment but you're going to something that is not quite like anything else yeah and that's really what the book celebrated and the series is also good at being true to the book so this season two um just started this month and the very first episode uh, features one of the most powerful places of gathering on the American roadside attraction landscape, the House on the Rock in Spring Green, Wisconsin. And if you've ever been there, you know that same sense of wonder and awe and dread. And it, it's awesome in the old sense of the word. Of It's almost too big for your senses to encompass. I couldn't agree more with you, Erica, because I have been to House on the Rock, and I have to say, I really have a swirl of images and emotions around that visit. First of all, when you get off the highway, the main highway, the thing you need to know is it's not five minutes away. You're, it's worth the drive to be sure, but it's not like a Denny's or a Cracker Barrel restaurant. You're going to have to drive to get there. And the drive itself is rather scenic and rural, so that's enjoyable. But then you drive to this place, House on the Rock, and the view when you first take it in is just, it's almost too much to take in. It's stunning. And you go, well, somebody had an idea here that belonged uniquely to him or her. House on the Rock, Erica, in my experience, was the kind of place that is a masterpiece of, of the creation of something from what you have around you. That's I really don't have those, those big-time artistic sensibilities. But what I would say about it is that not only is it awe-inspiring, not only is it beautiful, it's, it's also weird in the sense that it's not a construction of something that is transplanted onto a plot of ground. It's something that is hewn from the rock and the landscape around it so that even though it is so striking, it also seems to blend in with the scenery around it in a fantastic way. It, it, it really encompasses the extremes of experience. 
it is it has some of the most beautiful work in it but it also is so overwhelmingly kitschy that you sometimes feel guilty for loving it and you equally feel guilty for not liking certain parts of it so it's a roller coaster of emotions about what you're seeing because it is so jam-packed with collection paired with this architectural wonder of uh, the infinity room which juts out over this rolling hill treed landscape and it's just fabulous it absolutely is. I, I stood in that spot and I tried to take it in and I thought, this must be what it's like to guest star on an episode of Star Trek. <laughs> it was so yeah. conceptually brilliant and yet sheer. It's, it's the kind of place, and I think everybody has had the experience maybe once or twice. It, maybe I, you have to go out of your way to experience it. But to be someplace where there is nothing else but you and it, and, and that thing itself, you could be alone among all humans on the planet, you are having, even if you're surrounded by people walking through, and we had some fellow visitors at that hour, but to to stand there, you are having a solitary experience of something that feels pure, that feels like it reaches out to infinity and by design. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, uh, to get there, you're going through this warren of small, dark, tunnels and small constructed spaces, some that are packed full with hundreds of the same objects. So you get this rhythm of repetition. Then you have this expanse of natural beauty. And then you go back into this warren of uh, circus horses and dolls and collections of collections that really heighten each experience because the other one is smack dab next door and interspersed in this this sort of yes. rhythm of experience it's rhythm and it's contrast also among my memories and i'm going back just two years ago when i visited house on the rock is is this idea that if you wanted to be an american hobbit and hide yourself away and be able to keep warm during those Wisconsin winters. You go into a room where you have brick, you have furnishings that are odd in and of themselves. It's like, you know, what what cosmic yard sale did this come from? And you have this wonderful <laughs> fireplace where you could keep yourself warm and nobody in the world would know where you are if you didn't tell them. It's like being an American hobbit in that room, which I barely could fit into at certain points. I'm six foot three and it wasn't always easy navigating this house, I must tell you. Or I, I keep thinking of it as this would be the ultimate Bond villain lair if that Bond villain came from a circus and a very organized porter background, but still with a sense of beauty. Okay, I, I will definitely I will see that image and I will raise you one rocket ship built into it. So if you had to escape James Bond, you know, and go set up your base on the moon, that might be a good launching pad. Yes, yes, it would. It's places like that that are out of the way. I guess maybe that's part of the beauty of it, Erica, is that there are places, the highways and byways, to use the old phrase, that are available to us, but it's important that they not be as common as the homogenous popular culture of this or that restaurant, this or that gas station, this or that convenience store. It's great to have these places where space matters. I don't mean space like the rocket ship to space, 
that's a story for another day. But to have that space around you out of which you carve a new reality, something that had to be seen as within the context of what you're looking at, and then you just knock away like Michelangelo. You chip away everything that is not David, and there you have that shining, wonderful expression of life. And you said it right in that these sites are places for explorers. They're not, they might be something you happen upon, but you have to mean to go there. And it's something that we we're not quite as used to now in, in having things so immediate. So the celebration of these places that aren't directly off the highway, that have such a reputation and such a draw that you will take the extra time to go find it, explore it, and it becomes more of your experience because of that of that journey to that location. And I think that uh, it's important at this point that people know where they can find you. You're on the road a lot there, but online, if people want to get up close and personal with you, Erica Nelson, where will they go? Worldslargestthings.com kind of highlights my past explorations, but you can also find World's Largest Things on Facebook and at our new Roadside Sideshow Expo in beautiful downtown Lucas, Kansas. Lucas, Kansas, and that's relative, like, you know, Topeka or Wichita. Where would people find it when they're driving through? Um, if you go to the Geographic Center of the United States, which also features in Neil Gaiman's American Gods, we're 11 miles south. 11 uh, miles yeah, south of the Geographic Center? Of the United States, or wow. uh, 17 miles north of I-70 in the middle of Kansas. So to get there, you have to do a little bit of driving, and I take it that it's worth the trip every mile. I would, I would think so, but I've chosen to live here. I think it's it's great that you do what you do. The world needs more people like you. But on the other hand, you are unique and you bring something each time that you write for American Road magazine or are featured in it. And you have been a featured uh, artist and entrepreneur and curator there. So people who want to know more about you can go to the pages of American Road magazine and every now and again, op pups. Up, uh, up pops our good friend Erica Nelson, and I look forward to bringing you back there because we want to talk about some giants of Colorado and all the things to be experienced there the next time you visit. I've got that one in my tickler file, Erica. Thank you. You are welcome. Always fun to chat. Erica Nelson, everybody, she'll be back, that's for sure. Thank you for listening to American Roads Trip Talk. Thanks for Thomas and Becky Rep. They co-founded American Road Magazine. We are grateful, and we remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue of American Road Magazine. Until next week, drive safely and dream well. <laughs>